You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. My guest is Laura Towert. She's the CEO and founder of My Personal Therapeutics. So, Laura, thank you for coming. How are you doing? Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for hosting uh, hosting me. Yeah. So, so tell me, if you would, what's the premise of, uh, of the company? What's a little bit of your, your background and how did you come to create this company? Sure. Well, the, the um, I'm a biotech um, kind of aficionado, pers- personalized medicine. Um, is one of my my main passions and something I've been working on for for quite a while since um, since my PhD studies. Um, I have a history of in entrepreneurship. I started another company called Cellmatics, um, which is a New York uh, based biotech company pursuing personalized medicine in, in women's health. Um, and I founded that company about ten years ago. And um, but for the last seven or so years, I've been working with Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York and very interested in their uh, technology that they've pioneered called the personal discovery process. Um, It's really an interesting technology because it has very widespread applications across all genetic diseases. Um, And the way that the technology works is, well, the, the, the technology is mainly used for cancer or so far it's been mainly used for cancer. And the way that it works is we would take a patient's tumor biopsy um, sequence it, um, kind of detect what are the, the main drivers of the tumor, the, the, the main genetic mutations driving tumor genesis, and then we build them into fruit fly avatars, and then we do large-scale high-throughput drug screening to identify new combinations of drugs for patients. Um, and so it's, a, it's yeah, so that's, that's the company. What is a fruit fly avatar? So a fruit fly avatar is a fruit fly that's been um, genetically engineered to develop a tumor that's very similar to a patient's. And then we can use the, that, that fruit fly to do experiments on to, dis, to, to discover the best fit drug treatments for a patient. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, how did, uh, I mean, did you figure that concept out or where did the concept come from? So, so it came from the, the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Medical Center. Um, they developed it over about a decade, um, and it's the, the center that they've created around the technology in, involves oncologists, basic researchers, 
pathologists, um, it's um, genomicists, network analysis, um, data scientists, and so it's a it's a it's a really a very large effort that's gone to making what seems a very simple idea of creating a fruit fly, um, but to make the technology applicable to humans. Well, fruit flies uh, develop much faster. So, what happens if um, you know I have a tumor with certain markers and we put it into a fruit fly? How fast will it develop? So it develops really fast, and that's actually one of the the greatest utilities of the, of the fly. Um, other people are modeling um, making avatars in in mice, but it takes a very long time for the mouse to develop. Um, and also, you can't do high throughput screening in mice. Um, with flies, they're small. They're they mature quickly, um, and we can. And they're also they don't require as much drugs, um, so that it's 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 actually a lot cheaper. So we can do really high throughput screening in a really fast time. So the in in vivo environment of a fruit fly, you're saying is is what somewhat similar enough to a human where you can test certain elements of a, of a tumor. Yes. So the, there are some limitations to the to the fly model. Um, some to some tumors are best, better modeled in flies. Other tumors might be better modeled in a system like a zebrafish um, or mouse. But the for the flies, um, like colorectal cancer is very well modeled, lung cancer, um, a lot of other cancers. The, t- the tumor types that are difficult to model involve hormones. So the flies don't have hormonal systems. And, and so we could we can mimic them by um, engineering in um, horm- hormone receptors, but it becomes a little bit less, um, less natural. And so the company right now is focused on modeling the tumors that are well modeled in flies. And then, you know, we'll maybe pursue some other more, um, more, more difficult modeling later. It makes sense. I mean, it's like a very strangely creative way of doing it. What, so what, what aspects, well, first of all, what cancers are well modeled in flies? And then what aspects of the cancer can you model? So, so colorectal with bowel cancer, GI cancers, um, lung um, some sarcomas. Uh, most cancers can uh, any epithelial-based uh, tumors. The and just the the difficult ones are really breast, prostate, um, anything that's involving any, anything that's involving hormones. Brain cancer is a little bit difficult, um, depending on what type of brain cancer it is. Uh, but that's something that's an interest of of some of the scientists that are working on our team, and so we're 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 doing research and development towards that aim now. So specifically, what kinds of things can you model about the cancer? What uh, what can you look for? So we we basically take um, up to 15 genetic mutations, and so we're kind of uh, unbiased. We go into looking at the, the, the tumor genome, and we do unbiased identification of, of, of mutations, which means that we're not just using a genetic panel of known oncogenes. Um, and so that's really what the standard of care now is, is patients that are doing genomic profiling of their tumors. They're mainly looking at something like a foundation medicine one test where they're looking at known oncogenes. And they're saying, oh, okay, you're KRAS positive. You have you know this mutation. And then they use drugs to, to, to target KRAS. What we're doing is really looking at all of the, the genes that might be mutated um, and that seem to be playing a role in, in, in tumorigenesis. We're looking at, you know, definitely known oncogenes, but also genes that might be working with the oncogenes um, and then other kind of passenger mutations, genes that are working um, 
in, in mutations that are working together, like kind of in clusters. And so we we can model all of those into the fly. Um, and, and so then we get a tumor that's growing in the fly that's very genetically similar to that of the patient. Well, what happens when you take tissue out of a person, do histology, pathology, look at the tissue, and you sequence the DNA there, do genes turn off? Does it very quickly not resemble what it does inside the person's body? Is that why you have to do it inside a, a in vivo fly environment? So pe- people are doing these kind of patient-derived um, kind of xenografts where they take uh, tumor tissue and then they, they culture it and then they do um, kind of drug discovery or um, kind of looking at drug combinations that might work. The, the our argument against that is that you're really just taking the tumor and putting it on a dish. And so it, you're looking at... Um, you're looking at, at it in isolation. You're not looking at it where, you know, you're taking away all of the, the ability to, to, um, to look at signaling. And so we would, we would say that that's, that's even more artificial. Um, the fly enables us to look at the tumor as part of, um, you know, a whole animal model where we can look at signaling and interaction with, uh, with, you know, with blood vessels and things like that. So it's, it becomes more natural. Well, once you input the tumor into the fly, I would think there's a period of, you know, recognition and integration. I mean, there's, I would bet there's tons of cell-to-cell communication that the tumor does with its microenvironment and with its host. So is there a, how, how soon after you implant it into a fly, do you start looking at the tumor and, you know, have you noticed that it changes from its earlier baseline significantly? So we don't actually implant the tumor. We, we, what we do is we when we identify the mutations, we create a, like a plasmid type construct, um, and so we build we build the kind of the, the the plasmid, and then it's it's basically micro injected into the pupa of a fly, and so the fly will grow up to develop the tumor, and so it's it's basically something that 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 will grow up with the fly. Well, as the fly grows up, I mean, how long does it take for it to grow up? Like one day or? Yeah, it's very fast. It, it is. It's it's really fast, and you, we can control it um, based on temperature. So, if the fly is is in a warmer environment, they grow faster. And so, we use we use temperature as a control, like to our advantage. Well, how would you know how the tumor or the tumor cells or the you know the material in the plasma? How do you know how much it changes in its new environment? I don't understand. I would think that you know the action of the tumor. I mean, would dramatically change possibly in its new environment. You know, the, uh, the material, the genes would. Uh, I don't know. I would think that they would uh, their use in there. They would change very dramatically. Do they not? Is it preserved? Uh, you know, how well is it preserved in this new new host? Well, we're. It, I mean, we're looking at we're looking at trying to develop a tumor that's as genetically similar to the patient's. So. If, I mean, it's it's going to be a little bit different because you because it's not gonna it's it's not having all of the genes that are making up the tumor that are you know playing a part in the in the tumor and in the in the human, but it's kind of the best model that that we can do. Um, for example, if if you're building if you're trying to recreate a tumor in a mouse, you could only take you know a handful of genetic mutations because because just by nature of the way that you can. Um, you know, genetically engineer mice, but for the, for the fly, you could you could you know select more mutations, um, but it's still 
it's it's not going to be it's not going to be the same exact tumor. I mean, it's, of course, it's going to be different. You're not gonna, you're not going to have the interplay of all of the mutations, but it's going to be kind of the best that we can we can do. So, what do you, what exactly are you um, putting into a plasmid structure and injecting? So, we, all of the nuclear DNA of a, of a tumor cell, or the entire cell itself, or what's getting injected? That, it's basically. It's it's like a promoter promoter driven construct that has all of the all of the mutations built in. Hmm. So it's just my lack of understanding. I'm sorry. So it's um, you're not injecting a cell. Are you injecting just some DNA? Or like what what are you actually injecting? Is it some DNA it's, inside of a membrane or what is it? I mean, can you describe it? It's it's a it's a it's a plasmid. So it's a, it's a, like a small DNA molecule that's you know we we separate it and you could micro inject it so it it contains you know it's um it's it's yeah I mean it, it contains all so it's of almost the, like a it's almost like a vi- it's like almost like a virus right it's just a it's a like a membrane I guess you it's know, it's a, a cell well, membrane it's with a, DNA material it's a it's a bacterium okay but again like physically it looks like just like a membrane material with you know, the person's DNA inside of it. Exactly. Part of their DNA. But it's, it's, we don't, but we don't actually put the patient's DNA. We, we genetically engineer what, like, yeah. So the, so we, we take the, the patient would have their, their tumor biopsied in sequence and then they send us the sequence. So we don't receive any patient material at all. Um, Our process is all kind of bioinformatic based. And then, and then we create our own, constructs for microinjection. Oh, so they'll say, all right, um, we're looking at uh, these 10 different genes and each of them is what, like, I don't know, I'm just making 10,000 base pairs long. So uh, let's say that's what it was. What, what would the construct look like? How would you emulate that? Um, well, there's a lot of, I'm actually, I'm not the person that, that, <laughs> that does the kind of the, the construct building at the company. Okay. Um, I'm not, okay. I'm not the scientist, but, but basically like it has a lot of, uh, hairpin loops. Okay. No problem. Yeah. I didn't, I was just asking for the mechanics of it, but no worries. Okay. The concept okay. still makes, <laughs> makes sense. Gotcha. Gotcha. So how, how far have you gotten with doing this? Uh, you tested it on flies and what have you observed? So, so Mount Sinai has a, an ongoing clinical trial, um, and and so they've they've enrolled twenty three patients, and they have treated nine patients. And so, one of the first patients that they have outcomes data on was published uh, in Science Advances in April. And so, that patient had um, had KRAS positive colorectal cancer and was successfully treated um, with with a novel drug combination that w- that could have only been predicted by the flies. Um, and so we've we've initiated commercialization, and so we're selling uh, personalized treatment design to patients now. Oh, so the procedure would be that you know someone comes in and they have this treatment resistant cancer of the right type. You create this fruit fly avatar, and then what do you start doing? Like rapid fire testing as many different drugs as you can against that construct to see which one has an effect. Exactly. We do using robotics. We screen up to one thousand five hundred um, FDA approved drugs in combinations of up to three. So you know t- tens of thousands of, of drug combinations, um, and then we see which combination rescues the fly, and then wow. we we make human treatment recommendations. Wow. How how long does it take to see a positive effect if there's going to be one? 
if there's going to be one, we see it quite rapidly. Um, but the overall time that it takes to build the model and do the screening, it is it is quite long. If it's a tumor type that we haven't done before, it could take up to five months. So we recommend that that if a patient is starting to develop resistance to to their standard of care, they should start their model, um, start their PDP, and. We're working to, to improve this time. Like, for example, Mount Sinai has done a lot of patients with colorectal cancer. So we're at kind of what we call a product called targeted uh, personal discovery process. So we're, we've, we've become more intelligent um, with the, the patients that we've, we've had already, like by the experience that we've had. And so using um, artificial intelligence and kind of deep, deep learning techniques, we can rule out some drug combinations that we know that aren't going, going to work. And so thereby we need less flies. Um, and so it's cheaper and faster. And then over time, um, we know that patients with similar tumor genomic profiles will respond to the same drug treatment recommendations. And so if an incoming patient is, is very similar mm -hmm. to a patient we've already done, we don't have to build the fly. And so over time, we'll, it'll be a fully kind of big data product. Um, and so that's what we're working towards now. And our big data product will be called Two Match. So you, you'll build up your library. Yeah. Well, I like that. I like that. No one's ever said that before. I like that. The library. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so these are already FDA approved drugs, but are they approved for another indication or you know, how do you know which ones to even look at? Um, that's a great question. So, yes, all, we, we screen all of the drugs. We do unbiased screening. But one of the kind of pitfalls is is that a drug might be not approved for that indication, um, and so then it, it might not be covered by insurance. So an oncologist can, could recommend um, treatment for with with a drug that's not um, not approved for that indication, but it, but insurance might not cover it. So that's something that we're working with pharmaceutical companies now. Um, to offer some of the the you know an allocation of, of their drugs for a compassionate use, so that if we see that a patient would benefit from their drug, um, but it wouldn't be covered, we ask them to, to, to donate some. And so Mount Sinai's had a lot of success with, with doing that for the patients in the clinical trial. But is, if a drug works, you know, for a certain type of resistant cancer, I mean, then the benefit would be that you could tell the drug maker, hey, it's worked. And then the drug maker could go what apply for a, a patent or for FDA approval for that specific uh, use. Exactly. Yeah. So we 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 actually we 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 would be helping the drug company because we we would be saying you know hey we found another use for for your uh, you know your drug um, you should start um, applying towards having it approved for that indication and then and therefore that would also then help us. But are you like grandfathered in. Then that uh, you're you know you're allowed to get what like a reduced price or something or you know free um, access to it at, in return for doing this. Or? Um, we haven't we haven't um, had any conversations like that yet, but I think that 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 that's a good idea. <laughs> well, yeah, you want benefit back and forth. You know? Sure. Well, I think our benefit would be that the patient also is is you know able to use our drug treatment recommendation. Right. Right. Um, are you able to test? drugs that uh, you think structurally might have an effect but aren't even FDA approved? I mean, since they're in fruit flies, like, you know, is it, can you test anything or no? So technically we can, but okay. we, we have... But do you? Uh, no, we do The reason, there's a few reasons why we don't. One is because we're really busy uh, trying to identify new combinations of drugs that we can use today. 
Um, we are, we do have an, a longer term interest in doing so, but that's something that Mount Sinai um, might be doing separately from from us. So I guess okay. So it'd be easier if you use an FDA approved drug because that drug should not have any cardiotoxicity or liver toxicity or anything. But if you just use anything off the shelf, even if it works, it may still have other problems that you know because it hasn't cleared the FDA. Yeah, and 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 doctors wouldn't wouldn't be able to recommend those drugs. Right. I just didn't know if there's like an ultra fast fast track. If you see something works, why not? Uh, you know, I mean, I know it's a whole other project, but you know, yeah, the FDA allows this. Why not let them allow? Uh, you know, getting an ultra fast track to be able to be used. <laughs> sure. No, I think. But, um, you know. I think first we have to prove, I guess, we have to get more data that our fly-based uh, predictions are correct um, for to, for everyone, including the FDA, to, to gain confidence in our platform. Mm, okay. Why, um, why does it take so long if it's a new construct? And why can it take up to five months? What, what eats up all that time? So the, the the main the main kind of time time consuming part is when we we micro inject the flies and then we need the flies to grow up um, and then it's it's difficult to get let's say if we make a fly model if a patient has let's say we use we we make a twelve mutation model you can't make um, one fly at once that has all twelve mutations so you could make a fly that has let's say six and another fly that has another six and then you cross them until you get ones that have twelve. And then you've got to grow up um, enough flies to, if we're going to screen, let's say, 400,000 avatars for, for a patient, we have to get that many flies. So it's basically a breeding process uh, that, that takes a long time. So as we get smarter, it, it takes shorter because we don't need as many flies and then until we need none. Um, and so it's that's really the most time-consuming part. But to be honest, we've, we we quote that it would take five months for a tumor that we haven't done before. It might take much less, but we don't want to overpromise. Um, for colorectal right. cancer and cancers that we've done, we'd say it, it, like expected to take up to three months. But if we're you, you have a, a a higher probability of a patient having a tumor that we've already have a very similar one that we've done, um, and then th- therefore we can we can start with that drug combination and if it works it works and if it doesn't then we can kind of open it up to to other combinations but some patients might get lucky how do you um i mean so these flies grow up and they turn into regular flies and start flying around and stuff and interacting yeah yeah the ones that the ones that we successfully treat (laughs) the other ones all of the all of the flies that um that we um that we micro inject the the mutations into all of those will develop lethal tumors, and so they will all die pretty fast. Um, and only the ones that we we find that the right cocktail will survive. But how do you tag the flies so you know? Oh, well, that fly over there with the you know the long hair on its head—that's the one that has this mutation. Let's get it back and test it. I mean, if you so have all these flies flying all over the place, like are they in little isolated in, chambers yeah. each of them? Or? They're in little chambers. Um, they're in, well, we, we use a lot of different, uh, depending on which round of screening it is, it can be something like a 96-well plate or something. It's, it's, it's kind of small. Everything is a very micro. It, you can't inject any of the flies and then breed them after that, right? Like, how do you breed the flies? Um, it's just, just standard uh, fly breeding, um, putting them in the same um, kind of the, the same 
tube. Okay, but you'll okay, but you'll identify the two flies and then you stare at you know go hang out, yeah, go we, breed, and then you you separate them. Yeah, we can we 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 can tag which flies have mutations. Some of them will be tagged with with um, like green fluorescent protein, so that then you can we can look and see where um, where it is. Um, and so there's all different ways of tagging the the different the different flies. Some of them you can make a curly wing versus a non curly wing. So there's all different yeah. ways of, of tagging the the flies. Boy, if, I, if if someone went out with you to eat at a restaurant and there was a fly there, I wonder what you would think. You'd probably be like, uh, I don't know. Think <laughs> no one else would think by seeing a fly, you know, near the food. Yeah, I'm wondering, right. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, these these flies actually, we're, we're not really allowing them to fly around. They're really confined in in, in their tubes. Um, so, so they're, they're yeah. and the ones and the ones that have uh, cancer, they're not going anywhere. Right, right, right. I know. I just you know, I just wonder what you would think if you just saw a fly, you know, out and about in the real world. It would probably you know, make now, you think a lot more than someone else. Yeah. Now when I see a fly, I actually I'm, I'm grateful because I think wow, um, there are so many things that we've learned. From the fly, the humble fly is you know really yeah. helped advance uh, human genomics. That's cool. So these these are what fruit flies? Yeah, they're uh, Drosophila. And angostinus. Yeah. Okay. Well, very cool. So what um what's the future of uh, these fly avatars? What new things are are coming, or you you know you're just busy testing, testing, testing. Like what's what's ahead for the company? So what's ahead? So we're right now we're we're kind of working on some some cool cool new collaborations. We're working with um, one of the largest diabetes centers in the Middle East, the Dasman Diabetes Institute in Kuwait, and we're we're actually making diabetic flies that also have cancer. And we're studying how um, how diabetes changes the polypharmacology. Um, and so it, it, it's interesting because. Um, the the flies that are diabetic will would re- receive completely different drug treatment recommendations. So that would indicate that um, people with diabetes should have um, different treatment recommendations. So it's a whole new field of, of kind of research for us. Um, and then we're also able to model any uh, genetic disease, and so particularly rare genetic diseases. And so we're going to start to work with some rare genetic disease um, societies to to help identify patients that. Um, we might be able to help. How, how do you uh, treat a fly? By the way, when you you know give it a certain cancer, does it drink the medicine, or do you just inject the medicine? Like, how do you treat it? So the the flies actually eat the medicine in their food. Okay, they eat it. Gotcha. Huh. Interesting. This is really interesting. Well, very good. So what, Thank you. The, well, what's the goal of yours for the next few years? What do you hope to uh, accomplish? Just more of more drug discovery, or there's like specific milestones that you're hoping to achieve? Um, we're really hoping to to identify new drug combinations and really um, help find the right combinations for people, and and, and really educate the public on personalized medicine concept and con- not not every person. Um, we really want to develop um, kind of rapid, affordable, personalized treatment for patients with cancer, um, pa- patients with um, other rare genetic diseases. So we're, we're, we're starting with cancer, and then we'll start to, to, to look at some um, neurodegenerative diseases um, and other genetic diseases. Okay. Very good. Well, Laura, this has been like a super interesting call, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. What, what's the oh, best thank way you very for much. People to, uh, yeah, how, how can people ask questions and 
you know, get in touch with the company and learn more. What's the best way to do that? Oh, sure. Well, please uh, visit us at mypersonaltherapeutics.com. And I'm happy to, to share more information with anyone. My email is laura at mypersonaltherapeutics.com. Okay. Well, Laura, thank you for coming. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, but we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.